Dear listener, welcome to the first episode of These Occult Stories. The following story comes from a small town in the backwoods of Appalachia. Six teenagers celebrate their friend's birthday, but they are gifted with very unusual happenings. If you or anyone you know has a story they'd like to share, please email submissions to theseoccultstories at gmail.com. Also, follow us on Instagram at these underscore occult underscore stories for updates, features, and behind-the-scenes content. As always, thank you for listening. When we were boys, my friends and I sought any opportunity we could, as most adolescent boys do, to have sleepovers with little supervision. We liked to share confidential information, such as movies, with adult themes that any well-meaning parent wouldn't have tolerated. This night's selection was From Dusk Till Dawn, Vampires, Dancing Women with Some Scandalous Nudity. How Could We Resist? We never did ask Brandon, our host, how he'd acquired the VHS tape. This was simply unimportant. The question that plagued us was where were we going to watch it? My house was heavily populated with my several brothers and sisters, and my parents were adamant about getting us to bed at a decent hour. Josh's house was a bit unstable in terms of his family dynamic, and the rooms sort of bled into each other. Justin's house might have been fine, if it weren't for the family living room being so frequently in use, the television would never be available, much less private. Corey's house wasn't an option either, for reasons I won't get into, and Adam's was pretty much the same as Justin's. Brandon was quick to suggest something that hadn't occurred to us. His father had a functional camper at the foot of their yard, and it just so happened to have a working television VCR setup inside it. And so the matter was concluded. It is important to know a few details about the yard on which the camper was. Firstly, Brandon's house was located off the highway along a road that was obscured largely by dense trees. In fact, the road was known as Deep Cut Road, which will seem to be for obvious reasons should you ever drive it. From this road, there were several other dirt and gravel roads that branched off of it, smaller tributaries that led to homes unknown or abandoned. We never explored them. There was never any reason to. Something that always captured our attention, however, was the ruinous cemetery on the hill just before Brandon's yard. The stones were mostly overturned, all of them dating somewhere around the 1700s. Many that had the stone slab covers were cracked with age, and if someone were foolish enough to venture inside, they were likely to break an ankle, stepping on the uneven surfaces that often collapsed beneath any applied weight. I know this much because, being 14-year-old boys with nothing better to do, we'd tried a number of times to make our way through that mess. The trees and the overgrowth defeated us every time. Not 40 yards away from this forgotten resting place was our lodging for the evening, the camper. We arrived at Brandon's house that warm evening, our parents dropping us off one by one. Living in a small town of around 11,000 residents, nearly everyone has a reputation, and my mother was always knowledgeable to the hearsay concerning most of its residents. Many rumors crowded the local bars regarding my friend's father, 
Incidentally, I'd later learn in adulthood that the ones about him being notorious for getting into bar fights were mostly true. Despite this, my mother was a good judge of character, and she allowed me to stay at Brandon's house regularly. I, however, found my thoughts resting on other things, things like the alarming proximity of the camper to the rundown cemetery. As everyone arrived, we quickly got up to our usual foolishness, being stupid in the large front yard and doing whatever boys of 14 did before the internet was in every household. Keep in mind that because of the destitute state of our hometown, we were a bit behind in the accessibility of contemporary technology. I think we had dial-up internet at my mother's house until I was out of high school. At some point, one of us was chasing Josh, arguably the most athletic of the bunch. Josh was an exceptional basketball player and habitually wore basketball shorts. Even if he was wearing pants, one could be sure he had a pair of shorts on beneath them. This day was no exception, and he removed the pants so he could cool off. They remained there in the yard while all of us went inside to give Brandon his gifts. It was his birthday. After we finished the ceremonial birthday pizza, we realized the sun had gone down. Each of us gave a knowing look to each other, anticipating the events to come. My friends were so impatient to see this movie. I wasn't. I was already well aware that I was gay. But I was a good actor, one who was not yet willing to give up his secret. So I attempted to drool along with them, mostly successfully. Motion sensor light was triggered as we made our way to the camper as planned, our backpacks strapped on. The VHS tucked carefully into the front of Brandon's. The camper was surprisingly well-maintained. Its furnishings were new, and the interior had a relatively cozy atmosphere to it. Was it cramped? Of course, it was a camper. But we didn't mind. It afforded us the privacy we needed, and just enough bedding. Brandon must have prepared the space before we arrived. Blankets and pillows abounded. The detail that caught my eye, though, was the PlayStation. Purely on presumption, I brought along my new fighting video game just in case. I showed Brandon the game, and to my delight, he was only too eager to try it out. The others agreed. Everyone except one. He was more interested in seeing the female anatomy, and as quickly as possible. But he yielded to the majority. I'm still not sure what his deal was. He was the only friend that had access to the internet, and he looked at what interested him there liberally. It was maybe 10 o'clock when it happened the first time. We'd been taking turns at the video game, having a tournament of sorts, when the entire camper began to rhythmically rock back and forth. Everyone fell silent. I can distinctly remember Justin, wide-eyed staring intensely at each of us to confirm if we were making any motions to cause the inexplicable movement. But even as we were frozen in place, the camper accelerated its rocking, somehow gaining momentum. After two minutes, the rocking slowed and eventually ceased altogether. No one said a word. Once the fear rolled off of us, we began to look towards the house through the window. The motion light had never come on. This was important because it ruled out the only inference we could rationally make, 
that maybe Brandon's mountain of a father had crept down the driveway and pushed on the camper to scare us. We went so far as to investigate outside. The darkness was impenetrable, and there was no wind. What could it have been? I'm still asking myself in this moment. I still don't have an answer. As humans often do when faced with irrational explanations, we gave up our search and pretended it didn't happen. Thirty minutes into the trashy movie, our fears had mostly melted away. We had the best remedies, popcorn, freedom, George Clooney clumsily wielding a gun alongside Tarantino. Even at my young age, I knew the movie was so bad that it was actually somehow good. I mean, come on, you're going to have a character that calls himself Sex Machine? I couldn't help but laugh along with my friends. Part of this memory is very dear to me. This was before we were each damaged by the full pressures of puberty retreating into the sexual exploits that come along with them. I remember feeling so deeply connected to my friends Adam and Brandon. They had had similar damages to me in terms of our childhood experiences. It was nice when I could hear myself laugh out loud, and it usually only happened around them. And then it happened again. The woman on screen had just removed most of her clothing, had been vigorously devouring a man's throat when the camper began to violently rock. Again, no one aboard was moving. No motion lights had gone off. No sounds from outside could be heard to indicate a source of the movement. We were vulnerable, terrified, and more or less isolated. The movie continued. So did the rocking. The camper rocked for another few minutes but the silence of fear is not easily measured in units of time. It goes on, stretches, crawls across the room, being sure to take its time while it counts the breaths you are not taking. We said not one word, made not one sound, as we waited for the rocking to cease. And when it did, we all began to yell and speak wildly, exclaiming about what had just happened. Most of my friends grabbed the only weapons they could find, plastic forks and knives. I thought it was silly, but I didn't have any better ideas. Brandon decided it would be best to interrogate his father. He was convinced he had something to do with it. After all, what else could it have been? I said I'd be staying put. I didn't want to venture outside at all. I did not realize, however, that everyone else was eager to join in on the investigation. Thus, I was left alone. I watched them sheepishly make their way through the yard and up the driveway towards the house. The motion light came on immediately, which destroyed our hypothesis that it was somehow deactivated. We thought maybe that's how Brandon's father was sneaking down to the camper unnoticed. I remember vividly just how uneasy this realization made me. It ruled out yet another explanation we might have clinged to. Not long after, my friends returned to the camper. Again, the motion light was triggered, still working. They were each making a point of removing their shoes before entering. I would later learn that this was because they'd all stepped in dog droppings while wandering the dark yard. Brandon's father had come as well. I heard him before I saw him. 
He was looking beneath the camper if only to make us feel better, and calling us a few derogatory terms which implied how cowardly we were all the while. To my credit, he told me I was the only smart one, because I was the only one that had clean shoes. He then left us. I wish he'd stayed. All of us sat on the multiple bed surfaces in the small camper. We'd stopped the movie. We had no desire to finish it. We were still busy attempting to rationalize our experiences. Some of us put forth stranger ideas than the ones posited by our fears. These whimsical ideas seemed preferable to the unreasonable conclusions with which we were otherwise left. Someone made a joke about one of their dicks being too big, which somehow caused the camper to rock or that one of them had released a fart so powerful that the camper was fighting to get rid of it. All of these ideas were welcomed. Laughter felt good in that moment. It was then that I noticed Brandon's line of sight. Brandon was silent, eyes fixed on the window of the camper facing the house. Our eyes followed his, and we fell silent too. The motion sensor light on the garage had been triggered we immediately crowded around the window to see what it could be. We'd finally catch Brendan's dad, we were sure. He'd really screwed up this time. That's what we thought, anyway. To the right of the yard, by the tree in front of the entrance of the house, we saw them. The pants. They rose lazily from the ground where Josh had removed them earlier in the day. The pants were now standing fully upright as someone, an invisible someone, was wearing them. They walked briskly towards the left side of the yard, and just as quickly as it had happened, it was over. The pants dropped after reaching the left side of the driveway. There is something indescribable about seeing something that breaks the rules you've accepted concerning your environment. The rules had been broken for all of us. We could not digest what had just occurred, and we continued, paralyzed, staring at the now unanimated lump of denim resting on the grass. Before we could come to our senses, a white bowl zipped through the air from our right. It was one of the dog bowls that had been carelessly tossed in the yard earlier in the day. This perpetuated our fears, for there was no one outside to have thrown the bowl. We spent the rest of the night in Brandon's house. We tried our best to make sense of what we witnessed. It's difficult to describe the events to anyone outside of the situation. It always comes off as whimsical and cartoonish. In my mind, this is largely what makes the memory so horrifying. But six teenagers witnessed the events directly, and each of us still remembers what we saw that night. Years later, when spending nights at Brandon's, we'd see weird lights in the woods surrounding the cemetery. They seemed like distant lanterns fading in and out of view. But we never saw anything, quite like what we saw from the tiny window in the camper again. Thank you for listening to these occult stories. 
please email any and all submissions to these occult stories at gmail.com if you feel you have a good story to share. Also, follow us on Instagram at these underscore occult underscore stories. Have a good night.